SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. You sent me another fake resume. Uh, Mr. Ross, I can do what you need, whatever you need. I am healthier than I look, stronger than I look, faster than I look. Actually, shit, you were born in 1984. Of course not, but I feel like I was born in 84. After the credits roll, it's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in the franchise one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergie. And I'm your co-host, Thrasher. And we are wrapping up our look uh, at the Expendables series so far with the, the Expendables 3. Came out in 2014. You know, they came out with these every two years. Uh, directed by Patrick Hughes. Produced by Abby Lerner. Kevin King Templeton, Danny Lerner, Les Welch, and John Thompson. Screenplay by Sylvester Stallone, Creighton Rothenberger, Catherine Benedict. Uh, based off a story by Sylvester Stallone. Based on characters by David Callahan. And this stars uh, all the people from the other movie, except uh, does not, um, in, in addition, it has Antonio Banderas and Wesley Snipes, and a whole bunch of yummins. And um, Harrison Ford is in this because Bruce Willis refused to be in it. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering, because when, when Mr. Church uh, was uh, unceremoniously replaced, unceremoniously replaced with Max Drummer, my initial thought was, oh, he was filming something else so they couldn't meet his fee. Uh, it's the latter. Um, music again by Brian Tyler, cinematographer by Peter Menzies Jr. Um, off a budget of $90 million, this made $214 million, which is, is pretty good, but you compare it to The Expendables 2, and that one made, uh, you know, almost $100 million more. So, um... And also at the time, uh, the Expendables three was had had some controversy. It was slagged off because uh, it was PG thirteen instead of an R rating. You know, I did notice how bloodless the violence in this mm-hmm. was, and also especially the, with all the additional knife play. Yeah, there was a lot of knife play in this one, wasn't there? Um, also, you had the issue. Oh, I forgot. How could I forget that Mel Gibson was in this? Um, oh yeah, it's a pretty big get for the bad guy. And with The Expendables 3, the other thing is this movie, uh, a pirated version leaked online a few months before the movie came out. Really? Yeah, and they, they uh, there's the theory that that affected, well, how could it not affect the box office gross? Um, <clears throat> was, it a, was it a rough cut, or was the film pretty much No, done? no, it was the finished film. Um, hmm. So yeah, Expendables 3, the first time I saw this, I was tempted to see this in theaters, but then when I saw it was PG-13, I decided not to, and uh, I rented this, you know, I think when it first came on Redbox or something, and um, I feel sort of mixed about it. This this one really has a ridiculous cast. No, the ca- the cast balloons... And I would say, yeah. like the, the bulk of the bulk of this movie is just them bringing in new people. It is with with Kelsey Grammer, uh, that famous action star of all people. Um, <laughs> such strange casting. He he's in this because he's friends with Stallone, right? Like he he has no he has no movie pedigree unless unless they were so blown away by his turn in Down Periscope. They're like, oh, well, we got to get this motherfucker in our action movie. His turn as Beast in X Men: um, The Last Stand. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's a, he's a strange one in here. Um, what were your kind of first impressions of the film watching it? Uh, it it was very okay. So the it was almost an echo of Expendables two. I loved the opening mm. action set piece. The I found that the opening action set piece reached heights that the rest of the film never quite lived up to. Um, 
I did not know Wesley Snipes was in this, but I was so like immediately my interest skyrocketed when I saw Wesley Snipes. I I have loved seeing him in action movies since Blade. He is the best thing in Demolition Man. Um, but then my my interest sort of gradually waned. I got bored as they kept introducing new characters. I was bored with the villain. Uh, the 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 story seemed very very rote. The the opening scene established this '80s action movie over the top craziness that I wish had continued throughout the rest of the film. But instead, my interest just my interest kind of petered out by the halfway point, and the movie never recaptured it. Yeah, Despite so even, many people, I love being in this movie. They don't even show the villain until over thirty minutes into the film. Um, and can we can, and can we talk about that because so Mel Mel Gibson as Conrad Stonebanks, which is just that's a wonderfully pulpy name for a villain, uh, and but they do so little to establish him as this movie's bad guy and wait so long to reveal him that I, I almost feel like are they expecting us to not like him because of the scandals that he was that he was pulling out of at the time or. Or, or what? This movie did not seem to think that we that, that it had to do any work making us not like his character. The only <laughs> character building they do is uh, uh, Stallone has a portfolio on him that has pictures that he murdered a bunch of people. It's like, so what? So have the Expendables, for that matter. Yeah, and, um, and, and, and he was a former Expendable, uh, which is something they could have stressed more. Yeah, we um, could have had a nice flashback of them working together. Uh, instead, yeah, yeah. all we really all we really get is that he is an arms dealer. He's armed a number of terrorist networks, uh, and he's wanted by the Hague. And it's pretty you can you got to be pretty shitty to be wanted by the Hague. But let's let's see this man be evil. Let's establish him as a as a villain. Um, because you know because you know the, my. My dislike of Mel Gibson's anti-Semitism is not going to be enough to make me hate his character. Sure, and um, I mean later one of the the version that um, we watched was the theatrical cut, but there is a, a version on video that's an R-rated cut, which I imagine they just added blood squibs or something. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this this might hold a record for most people killed in a PG-13 movie. Yeah, they they go nuts, especially Terry Crews when he starts bringing out his uh, his heavy hardware. Yeah, and um, Terry Crews not really being in it has to do with him having scheduling conflicts with um, that sitcom he's on. Oh, it was had Brooklyn Nine Nine started at this point. Brooklyn Nine Nine, yeah, that's it. Yeah, had started. Yep. And because of that, he wasn't able to have a bigger part in the film, so they just wrote that his... And it works with the plot. His character gets injured, and that sort of drives the rest of the story. I'm not sure how you would have done the story otherwise. But as you mentioned, yeah, it, it opens up on a pretty exciting um, sort of train uh, sequence. Yeah, the Expendables are doing a rescue mission, trying to rescue someone who's in this train, being transported to some uh, some some fortress facility somewhere. And it's... I, it's this great armored train with guns coming off of it. Uh, the and so one one thing that I that that I really really liked is, is part of this is that at one point all these soldiers crawl out of the train and get on top of the cars to shoot at the Expendables who are riding in this helicopter. Um, and so one of the Expendables went to some power lines and strung some strung some steel cable that runs like just above where the top of the train is. So. All the people riding the train get clotheslined in one glorious shot. Uh, that has got to be a hor- going at that getting clotheslined at that speed. That's got to be a horrible way to die. Um, and this is one of those things where the over-the-top '80s nature, if it was deliberate, helped the film because there's a shot of of the top of the train afterwards, and there's still some bodies stuck to it, and the bodies are so clearly suit stuffed with straw. <laughs> They're just ragdolled everywhere in the most unnatural way. <laughs> I kind of loved that brief shot. It, it just took me back to the days of Golan and Globus. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice moment. You mentioned Wesley Snipes. It's nice that he's in here because he served a few years jail time for tax evasion, and they work that into the script. 
Yeah, they, they, they and there's there's a couple of moments like that where the characters make reference to something that connects to the actor. Um, and, but yeah, that, that and that and that's kind of a that's a, f- a funny exchange. I remember, and that's one thing that's weird is they keep talking about how he must have gone mad during the time that he was a prisoner because when they break him out, he doesn't go with them to get rescued. He climbs to the front of the train and gets on the forward mounted gun and just starts shooting the fortress that is their destination and refuses to be rescued until the last possible minute, which does make for a breathtaking escape. But they they really set it up that he's got a death wish. And that he's a bit crazy now, but that never really comes back. Like after he shaves, he acts pretty sane and grounded for the rest of the film. He does, and I like to actually give him some some fun scenes to work with. I mean, it's an Expendables movie, so it's not a lot, but he gets a scene where he um, is is trying to thank people for rescuing him, and it's very forced. And they're sort of while he's apologizing. Uh, Stallone and Statham are kind of giving him crap on the way he apologizes, but they're going like, oh no, that's the best apology I've ever heard. And being like really sarcastic about it. Mm. Yeah, I guess, that, I guess like the, the comical business isn't quite as good. And I, I, I feel like part of that is because of the absence of Mickey Rourke. Uh, I missed Mickey Rourke uh, in, in mm-hmm. Expendables 2. I really, really miss him in Expendables 3. This this film has a glaring Mickey Rourke-shaped hole in it that only Mickey Rourke can fill. And the, the way the, the way he, Mickey Rourke does his trash talk, it sounds so natural and so off the cuff. That's what this needs. Every exchange in this movie feels so scripted. It does, and I think, you know, even just like a few, um, even just two scenes with Mickey Rourke, I think would have livened things up. He was a, a surprise, really, in that first one, and uh, that, that we see him here is, um, that we don't see him here is a is a loss. I, I wonder if they tried to get him back, because I, I don't think he's been as busy, you know, in, back during the time of the original Expendables, his career is kind of heating up again. He was in Iron Man 2, he was in that movie The Wrestler. That got nominated for several Oscars. Um, he was doing some big things, and um, Sin City, all that stuff. So um, yeah, who knows? Um, but in this this opening mission, you have Hail Caesar, played by Terry Crews, gets uh, gets injured. Oh wait, never mind. No, that's later. My brains are a bit scrambled here. Um, well, you know what? I think what part of it is is characters do just disappear and reappear throughout this and, film. And there's so many characters; it's it's frankly exhausting after a point. And one, and um, once again, this movie does not know what to do with Jet Li's yin yang. No, although they bring them back for the for the final scene, which I thought was nice. Um, but yeah, so you you have a big thing about. They're on a uh, a mission to try and get uh, Conrad Stonebanks, and Caesar gets shot by Stonebanks, and he's injured and has to be sort of patched up. And oh, oh you're talking about that that uh, scene at the uh, at at the uh, weapons depot with the crane and all that? Yeah, with the crane and everything, mm-hmm. and it's it's okay. It's a bit busy. It's not one of the better action scenes, I think, here, and. Uh, what we get after that is, as we mentioned, the the sort of proper briefing, which is from Max Drummer, played by Harrison Ford, and he's told to get Stonebanks, but you need to bring him alive, uh, which Stallone is frustrated with, I guess. Um, we well, you know I I loved Harrison Ford as Max Drummer. Uh, seeing him in this role and seeing him just being an old man. I, I want it makes me want to see Harrison Ford as a as a crank a cranky old senator in everything. He would be so good at that. Yeah, they um I mean Harrison Ford does less movies nowadays, but he it's a good role. He seems to actually give a shit, which I can't really say the same for Bruce Willis when he was well, he, um the same uh, kind of role. Yeah, well he's he's acting. Yeah, that's it. He is acting. <laughs> He's given he's given some thought into who his character is and what he wants, and he and he has every right to you know be angry. I mean that's his that's his thing. Uh, we had Stonebank dead to rights, and then he escaped on my watch. 
he's the guy with his ass on the line, not Stallone, not the Expendables. And in talk show appearances around this time, uh, Harrison Ford said he had a lot of fun doing this movie, and um, even though he's not in it for that much, I think he makes the most of his time. It's uh, The character is kind of beleaguered, but at the same time, he, he agrees with Stallone on some things, and... Uh, they don't they don't force him into an action scene, which I thought was a little bit surprising, but Well he does get to fly later. He gets to fly, which, which, which speaks another, to Harrison Ford's he yes. is a pilot hobbyist. He has a pilot's license. Um I know there a lot was made during the uh the filming of The Force Awakens because Harrison Ford had had been in a crash. I feel like that could, that must have not been the first highly publicized crash he had been involved in, because I swear there's some no. derisive comments about his flying in this film that that couldn't possibly be prescient or prescient to that event. Yeah, he had had some crashes before, which I think, I mean, I mean, if you look at the odds, especially if you're an amateur pilot, you know, it can happen. Um, even if you know what you're doing, sometimes the, the wrong conditions happen and you have to make a crash landing. But he's also, you know, on his plane, he's... There's been news stories of him rescuing people where he happens to be on the the right band listening to emergency things and he's he's done a lot with his um flying uh memorably well, I, I don't know about memorably but um it, there was the movie he did with Anne Hesch um was it six days seven nights or something mm. where they're on the island and towards the end he's he's flying on an airplane that's really him flying um so he's it's just been a big part of his life, and that he's gets to pilot a helicopter later on, is a is a neat sort of tip of the hat. But yeah, as as um, we kind of mentioned earlier, much of this film is him getting a team together. Stallone feels his age; he feels guilty that Caesar got injured, and so instead he wants to recruit a new, younger group of Expendables, thus setting up a few more franchises. Yes, right. And he, it, these actors, some of them I recognize, I think most of them are MMA fighters. Yeah, well, I know, I know, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I know that uh, Ronda Rousey is Luna. Uh, she is a, a mixed martial artist, and I think she's currently under contract to the WWE. Correct. I'm not sure if she was at the time. And Kellen Lutz is, uh, was uh, one of the characters in the Twilight movies. Um, mm. He was the guy that they make a big... He has an authority problem. He's that guy. But, I mean, most of these people... Don't they don't, all have an authority problem? Yes. And, and most of them don't have much of a personality, <laughs> with the exception of um, Antonio Banderas, I think, is a lot of fun here. Well, you know, you know what I like is that Antonio Banderas is kind of the Rudy of this movie. <laughs> like, he's he, he has almost too much personality. I love that he loves to gab. I love that he loves to act questions. I love that he wants to be really, really useful. But as a result, he's very, very... The, the other people find him very, very annoying. Because it really, it really is Antonio Banderas playing against type. And it makes me wish Antonio Banderas did more comedy. That He can be very funny. Yeah, and also he has his hair short, which is most of the time he has it longer, so that makes him look different. And and the joke is they're trying to find younger people, and he lied about his age. And oh yeah, yeah, there's a crack about how he he lied on his resume <laughs> several times. And he not only does he talk a lot, but he gesticulates with his hands a lot, um, and it's it's pretty uh, pretty amusing. Stuff. I mean, I was fairly annoyed with the introduction of Ronda Rousey. Um, and I yeah, so, he, so yeah, because yeah. at, th at this point, um, Stallone's hooked up with Kelsey Grammer as Bonaparte, who is a, a was apparently yes. a mercenary working for a different outfit, uh, and he's tr you know he's introducing Stallone to all these people. They go to this ridiculously swank nice nightclub, and the character the, and Ronda Rousey's there in this red dress, and she's. Everything she does indicates that she's the hostess at the nightclub, but then she beats the fuck out of some guys getting rowdy on the dance floor, and it turns out she's the bouncer. Um, it seems like, like on the one hand, like I love, I love the idea that she's in this cocktail dress acting as a bouncer. I think that that's great, but a bouncer has more thing. Like a bouncer's not going to be acting as the hostess. They do too much to make it a misdirect. 
Also, it, that she beats him up and then afterwards says, men, and then she does that again like in another scene just seems really, I don't know, just cheesy. Like, it's not good enough of a line. I well, you know, you know what it is, and I, I've talked, I've talked about this before. That's that's the chick moment. It's where a screenwriter who yeah. who is not confident in their ability to write female characters and who hasn't seriously considered the role of the female characters in their film decides to throw the women in the audience a bone by letting a woman do something badass, usually only once, and then make a really lame quip. That you can boil down to, but I'm a woman. Like the 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 er, well, I don't know if it's the er example of that, but the most glaring example of that is in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, where where the where the female lead is fighting the zombie pirates, and she like she waylays one with like an oar and says, "You like pain? Try wearing a corset." That is such a dumb line, and that's kind. Of, those are kind of the only lines they give Ronda Rousey in this film. It's, it's more like the kind of line you see in a trailer, also. It's that sort of oh, quippy yeah. nature. Um, they also go nuts with her knuckle-cracking sound effect. Yep. It's like every time she flexes her hands, it's like somebody It's like somebody put on a steel-toed boot and stepped on a sack of walnuts. Yeah, well, let's go back to uh, Conrad Stonebanks, played by Mel Gibson, because uh, <laughs> Mel Gibson, you know, hit the gym pretty hard for this role and you can tell in the fight scene towards the end and uh he he, he looks good he's clean shaven he's uh but most of the time they have him acting like james bond here he's in nice suits he's going to swanky parties served by pretty women he's, he's making uh he is making a deal with an arms dealer played by robert davy who people might recognize as um one of the the goofy criminals in the goonies and he was also in License to Kill, and he's done lots and lots of movies over the years. Um, but they don't, that they don't give him action stuff is a little bit strange. Uh, and, yeah, you're right, they just don't do anything with this character. And Mel Gibson, I think, is, is smart casting, but compared to, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme in the second one, it was, was really over the top and seemed to relish the, the role. Uh, and in this, it's just a... Conrad comes off as a bit flat. You, you, know, you know what I, I wish? If if you're go, if you're going to hire Mel Gibson as your villain, why why not make all of his henchmen the other people who played villains in the Mad Max movies? Oh yeah, you could do that. Sure. Why, why not? Something. Why not give him? Why not give him a badass second in command played by Tina Turner? Why not have the guy who played uh, Toe Cutter uh, as his muscle? Like, I mean, just lean lean into it if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna have him in the film at all. Why not have Mel Gibson speak in his Australian accent? That's something we haven't seen in a while. That that would you know that I hadn't. That had not occurred to me, but that would have given this character some 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 more flair. Although I guess I guess that's the thing, though is he too is he too charming and charismatic to be the villain? I think so. And maybe but that's again, not it, the fault of the script; it's it, more of it, the actor. I don't know, but it's well, it's it's, it's like I said, know. it's it's as if they want us to hate him because of the scandals the actor's been involved in, and not because of anything that the character does. Had right. Done. And I, I think one one scene where he does get a bit more to do is Stallone has his group of young Expendables. The old Expendables, you know, kind of give him shit, and they think it's a mistake. And uh, the Expendables go, and uh, it's 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 all planned with the hacker dude. And uh, they end up um, capturing Conrad and put him in the back of a truck. But then Conrad, see, knows how to push uh, Barney's buttons. Mm. And there's a coordinated, you remember where the um, there's a helicopter or something, shoots a missile, knocks over the truck, and they get, um, and they capture everyone except for Stallone. Yeah. So... So actually, a fallout to to uh, Stonebanks capturing several of the Expendables. There's a there's a bit where he sends a video message uh, to uh, to Barney <laughs> Ross, and yeah, the video I, message. I want to introduce you to my friend to my friends here, <laughs> and and you pan, and he pans past the four the four Expendables they have kidnapped. There's Harpo, Chico, Gummo, and who could forget Groucho? And that's. 
I guess it has to be deliberate that they invoked Gummo as the fourth Marx brother rather than Zeppo. Yeah, it's um, that's got to be an extra layer of, of insulting there. It's a real wacky kind of scene that's sort of unexpected. It feels like something from a different movie. But Mel Gibson is a fan of classic uh, comedy. He uh, produced a TV movie on the Three Stooges a long time ago, and um, oh, was I, was that the one with Michael Chiklis? Yes. As a curly, I've yep. seen that. That's actually very good. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I may even talk about it on a previous episode. Now that I think about it, I think so. Yeah, and uh, I think like that that brief scene, and also earlier in the truck before, as I mentioned, Mel Gibson's you know trying to needle Stallone. I think is the only time his character kind of has fun, and and he's not. You know, he's the bad guy because they tell you he is, but he doesn't do. I agree, he doesn't do much to. To get you to, to hate him. Uh, also, I'm surprised we have not mentioned. What do you think about the decision of uh, Barney Ross not having his uh, mustache in this movie? I'm so used to seeing Stallone without the mustache that I didn't even notice it was gone. Hmm. To me, I think it's a mistake that it's gone because most of the time in films, Stallone does not have facial hair. And it, it it's true. It was a more distinct look. look. Different. Yeah, it was yeah, more distinct. Yeah, I guess. Looking back on it, yeah, they probably should have kept the mustache. Actually, I saw there was there was one scene that did make me hate uh, Conrad Stonebanks. What was that? So it's it's much earlier on in the film. You would mention him in an art gallery. So there, yeah. there's there's the scene where he's like uh, he's using an art gallery as a cover for doing an arms deal, and they go up to this abstract painting. And he starts talking about, you know, whether the artist anticipated the painting costing so much. And and he he basically did the whole standard uninformed person talks about art scene. Or is like, oh, anybody could do this. This doesn't mean anything. This is, oh, I, I fucking hate that. Now, I am not, I am not an abstract artist. Um, I'm, I'm a cartoonist. But I got bored with people commenting on art who did not know a goddamn thing about it when I was five. Mm. So that scene really grated on me. Well, and later it shows him admiring these creepy, I think, Caravaggio paintings. Mm. Oh, the one—the only thing that made that scene uh, at the art gallery bearable. There's this young woman who's following, uh, who's following Stonebanks around. Who I don't know if she's supposed to be working for him or if she works for the gallery coordinating sales but she never she never speaks but she has these she's constantly reacting to everything around her with these huge smiles and big mm. eyes it's it's like she it's like okay so i think in that in that that character i think is the female lead in a screwball comedy that we're just not allowed to see cuz expendables 3 is in the way I could see that. It's uh, just her. Her expressions are so over the top. I was fascinated by them. It's a weird, yeah, a weird note. Um, I, I think you mentioned the beginning of the film works. I think that towards the end of the film, I think that kind of works too, where the the old guys get back together, and then um, you have Antonio Banderas tags on to join them. Meanwhile, you get. Um, Trench, uh, Schwarzenegger's character, and it turns out he has um, Yin Yang, played by Jet Li, working for him because he pays him more money. And uh, <laughs> also in the helicopter with them piloting is Harrison Ford as Max Drummer. And he has a this... chopper that they have to get to. Yes, and uh, he has a line. If he doesn't say get to the chopper, it's something very similar to no, it. No, no, he does say, you, we all need to get to the chopper. Yeah, and... Uh, one ridiculous thing Harrison Ford does while piloting the um, helicopters, he makes it flip upside down. <laughs> which I would not work, probably. And um, there's a fun bit where he's talking to Lloyd Christmas, Jason Statham's character, and he can't understand him because he has a British accent. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's a kind of a weak comedy. I'll take what I can get. Compared, I mean, do you prefer weak comedy or like the five mentions of I'll Be Back in the second film? 
Oh, well, okay. If if those are my only options, I would probably choose the bad comedy. So, what did you think of that final assault on the the big building that starts to blow apart towards the end? Kind of, kind of a, of, of a mixed bag. Uh, I think I think it's a it's it's a it's a bit overlong because all of the expendables need to be given their own little micro fight scene within all the macro action. Um, it does try to get over the top again, such as like Sylvester Stallone riding a motorcycle up a ramp and then the motorcycle flies vertically through the air so that he can grab hold of some steel rebar to get to stone banks. Like I guess it it could have used a bit more of that to 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 keep my attention, but otherwise it was just another protracted fight scene. And uh, speaking of fight scenes, the sort of send off between Stallone and Gibson, uh, I don't think it's as good as the Jean Valon fight we got at the end of Expendables too. Like it, it's sort of interesting that they're it, it gets down to the the simplicity of two guys just punching each other, but it's uh, it's missing something. It could have used. And it doesn't help that the location they're in, it's just all great concrete. It's not interesting to look at. Hmm. Yeah, the, I guess the environment itself doesn't even have much of a personality. Although, st- strangely enough, the movie... like, So I, I was underwhelmed with the final action set piece, but I did like the final scene where all the Expendables are, are, are hanging out at the bar, if only because there's this great moment... So, um, Wesley Snipes is Dr. Death, uh, in addition to being a combat medic. Not that we really get to see him practice medicine, he's an expert with knives. And um, Jason Statham, in the previous two films, has been their knife man. So there's this great scene where they're getting competitive, with they're throwing knives at a dartboard, and there's this great scene where they're just staring at each other, and they throw knives at the knife board, uh, at, the, at, the, at the dartboard without looking at it, they then turn to look at the dartboard, and one knife has hit a bullseye, and the other knife is embedded in the back of the first knife. That was so silly. I loved it. Yeah, it, that was a good moment that worked. And uh, it was a little apartif, like that. That that kind of that was a nice palate cleansing moment uh, that made the, that made the previous film the pre- film that I just got through a little bit more bearable. And towards the end, Stallone reveals to Banderas that he's accepted into the team, which, of course, he gets overly apologetic about. Um, and and there's, there's, there's a weird bit at the end where they're trying to be... I think they're going for an emotional moment, but it doesn't quite work, partially because all of the younger Expendables are so underdeveloped, where they do karaoke, remember? Yeah, well, it's also it's also very on the nose because what song do they sing in karaoke? They sing uh, "Old Man, Take a Look at My Life." Look at my life. Yeah, and it's, uh... at, which they don't they don't even do the karaoke version because the because the the karaoke version wouldn't have the lyrics in it. That's true. Like you yeah, hear the you opening don't... lines and then later on they join in. <laughs> Not to mention the karaoke parts also sound. You know the instrumentation sounds a bit sounds like MIDI. It sounds a bit cheap. And we, oh, Neil Neil Young's old man. I, I should we should give credit where credits due. Uh, you know the you know what the other thing is that it's it's mainly a bunch of really young people um, sing singing that song. It's it, you, have you ever see, listened to somebody sing my way who really shouldn't be singing my way? Yeah. It, it's kind of like that because what makes a uh, old man work is that was that was written uh, when Neil Young was sort of coming to terms with his own aging. Now he certainly wasn't old at the time. Uh, I think he was in like his early thirties uh, when he uh, wrote that song. But that song, really, what it's about, it, it is about an aging man looking back on his youth and what his youths perceptions of aging were i mean it, it, it's a, it's a song about an internal conflict that can only come with time um and the characters singing the song are sort of they're too young to be in that headspace they're, well they're too young to be in that headspace and they're also simultaneously not old enough to be in that headspace i wonder with expendables 4 if we're going to see any of the young people at all i imagine not I feel like Antonio Banderas would be back because he seems well, up for okay, anything. He but, really I don't count, know. but yeah. Well, okay, true. Oh, speaking of Antonio Banderas, I meant to talk about this, but when he's introduced, he's at this like construction site, 
And when he's called down, he does all these parkour moves, but he's wearing yep. this bandana, so it's clearly a stuntman. <laughs> of course. I kind of kept waiting for that to be a running gag where anytime he would do something, he would put a bandana on and just make it obvious that it's a stunt guy. And you think they'd have the parkour payoff later, but nope. Yeah, yeah exactly. His, his one skill he doesn't even get to use. I... What did you think about, uh, towards the end of that final action scene, you have uh, Barney Ross is running dramatically as the building explodes, and he has to leap into the helicopter. What's something we've seen a thousand times before? It is, and they try to make it like a mystery, like, oh, did he survive? And it's like, of course he survived, and the music is, like, overly dramatic. Well, Um, beyond that, in in the, in the, the, the scene where they raid the dockyard a whole building explodes, and they're all even closer to the blast. The flames lick them, and they're yeah. all completely fine. So why am I to believe that this other guy, who's a safer distance from an explosion that he knows is coming and he's already prepared for, why would I believe that he's under any danger? Good point. Um, Alright, so... Yeah, Expendables 3. I give it... I get of a sequel, yes, I think. You know, I I liked enough of this one. I liked Kelsey Grammer. I liked Harrison Ford. Um, Even though they don't do anything with him, it was interesting to see Mo Gibson. Uh, I mean, this... Make no mistake, this is a very mediocre movie, but I I think the the tone is more on point than the original Expendables. So it's just barely a sequel, yes, for me. I'm I'm giving the sequel no. As much as I liked Ford and and Grammer, I'm actually who I'm also shocked did not show up at the end. Um, right. It just and as much as I loved Antonio Banderas, and again Terry Crews is a mountain of charisma. I wish there was a movie where it was just Crews and Banderas, like traveling the world, solving yeah. mysteries or fighting dictators or something. That would be so worthwhile. But I don't know. There's just it. I, I'm I'm left I'm left feeling feeling nothing. Just give give me a movie with Cruz, uh, Snipes, and Banderas, and I would be so happy. But that's but they're deluded by everything else in the film. The sequel, no, from me. This movie does have a good teaser if you look it up. It, it does the uh, the whistling theme from The Great Escape, and it just nonstop <laughs> goes through all the different cast members, and it's just exhausting. And if you look at the poster, it's just ridiculous, right? It's like over a dozen names. Well, yeah, like the, it, it, there's. I don't even think they have a, a tagline. It's just the names of all the uh, of all the actors. The only tagline is buried in the credits, and it says "Get fired up," which talk about <laughs> generic. That that doesn't even mean anything. That's like, fired okay. up sounds like the title of a dance movie. It does, unless we forget Sylvester Stallone directed. Um, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive. Oh, yeah. Which was a dance movie, so there you go. Um, all right, so pitch a sequel. Um, the idea I would, would have is based on this discussion of the ori- original Expendables and no one is alive except for Stallone and uh, some of the, you know, Wesley Snipes and Mel Gibson, I guess. I, I would do a prequel. I would call it, like, Expendables 77, and have it be about the Expendables. Um, some of it would be about how the the group gets together, and uh, you would use CG de aging techniques, I think, to make the actors look younger, and it would look kind of creepy and off putting. Because if you had other actors play Stallone's part and stuff, that would just defeat the purpose. Um, and it would be set in the seventies, and it would be uh, I would have it set like on a tropical uh, setting, I think. Have it be on a, have it be on a an island in the crib, and maybe like on the Canary Islands or something, off the coast of England. Let's make it somewhere different. And uh, the the villain would be um, played by. Oh, why not make it Richard Lewis? Maybe make it someone sort of unexpected. <laughs> So my my own uh, s- uh, sequel, I 
at this point, I just want to see these movies degenerate into self total self-referential comedy, so I'm going to do Expendables. And oh. the premise of Expendables is it's not about these characters, it's about these actors. It's about all these actors behind the scenes at the filming of a fourth... No, better yet, a seventh Expendables film. Which is going to be a sidequel to something else. But... Um, so all of these actors play kind of hyped up, pumped up, parodied versions of their own personas, and you know they're on they're on location filming, and while filming, the set is attacked by actual terrorists, and hmm. they all decide, well, we've we've played people who have brought down these kinds of uh, goons in the movies. I'm sure we can do it. So. It's all these these actors trying to use their acting and fight choreography and ability to use prop weapons to stop an actual uh, a hostage situation. And because I want it to be super heightened, um, and, and because I can... This is a fantasy. I can cast whoever I want. Alan Rickman plays the leader of the terrorists, uh, but it's actually Alan Rickman. Okay. Uh, that... The studio that essentially the idea is that the Expendables movies are are bankrupting the studios because of are are getting close to bankrupting the studios due to diminishing returns and the actors wanting bigger and bigger salaries, but they're all under contract so they can't just stop the movie. So they have hired they have hired Alan Rickman to <laughs> gather up a bunch of baddies to attack their own their the production of their own movie so that the movie can't be filmed, it tanks, and the studio can collect all this insurance money. Um, and so that'll be... So that's the whole That's the whole plot. Got it. Interesting. Uh, cool. Well, I have a question for you, Thrasher. Uh, what you What's watching? That? All right, what you so watching? I have a What You Watching that was part of an odyssey. So uh, my wife and I were hanging out with some friends... And they had seen a crazy, over-the-top horror movie called Truth or Dare that they really wanted to show to us. So they went on the streaming service, and they found Truth or Dare. Only it turned out it wasn't the movie they wanted to show us. It was a different movie called Truth or Dare from the previous year. Um, it is uh, directed by Nick Simon. It's uh, written by uh, Tommy uh, Hudson and uh, Ethan Lawrence. And short version is uh, a bunch of typical teen sl- modern teen slasher movie victims... For all intents and purposes, it might as well be the cast of Riverdale, now that I look back on it. Uh, they all go to a haunted house to play a game of Truth or Dare, because there's an urban legend in their town that a bunch of kids played Truth or Dare in that house and all died. Uh, and what ends up happening is that a ghost starts playing Truth or Dare with them. So after they leave the house, like they'll find a note that has a dare written on it. And they then have five minutes to do that dare, or the ghost will do it to them. And this is where the movie's problems uh, really start to form because, okay, so you're given a dare and you, you, you know, quote unquote, have to do it or else the ghost does it to you. Well, then what's the point of making a choice? Mm. If the ghost yeah. is like, because like, the, fir- like the, the first person outside of the house who finds a note, uh, the note says, hang yourself for two minutes. And he doesn't do it, and then the ceiling opens and a noose comes out of nowhere and strangles him and hangs him to death uh, by hanging him for two minutes. And that's kind of like that, that's so like what's the, what's the point? If if it's going to happen to you anyway, why do you need to choose? And so as the, the and so the team, all the teens get back together, go back to the house and try to find a way, and they somehow get into their heads that if they quote unquote finish the game, not that there's an end point to truth or dare. If they somehow finish the game, then the ghost will stop sending them dares. But they keep getting increasingly more horrible and disgusting dares. And we made it a game to figure out, okay, how can you fulfill the dare without doing something terrible? Yeah, Because, like, um, it's it's one of those things where, like, can you use the spirit or the letter of the dare to, to meet its requirements? Like, one of the dares is pull two teeth. Um, so, and, uh, so, of course, they get out pliers and start trying to pull their teeth, their teeth out or other people's teeth out. And all I'm thinking is, okay, well, could you write the word teeth on a piece of paper, put it in an envelope, and then have someone, quote unquote, pull teeth by pulling could you also it out of the just, envelope? Could you also just gently pull on teeth? It didn't say remove teeth. 
Yeah, just said pull. Uh, right. li- likewise, um, uh, likewise, like one of the dares is uh, get get run over by a truck. Uh, and so they go out front, and there's this huge SUV. But the SUV is so big, it looks like it has enough clearance that if you just laid down and let it drive over you, the worst that might happen is your sweater would get snagged on the undercarriage. So I have to, I, I'm a bit puzzled, Thrasher. So you're at a friend's house. They want you to show this. Uh, they want to see this movie. I figure they can clearly tell it's a different movie a few minutes into it. Why do they continue watching it? We have a thing for bad movies. We wanted okay, to see how okay. bad it would get. <laughs> sure, um, but it's it's one of the and, and I guess I guess that was the thing that really frustrated me from, from a storytelling standpoint. One of the char- so we've seen what happens when you don't do the dare. One of the characters should have tried to have been clever. Like if that's not going to work, we need to see that it doesn't work. You know, right. and, maybe, and maybe this comes from a lifetime of role-playing games where there's riddles and alternate solutions and like wishes where the wording really, really matters. But I wanted to see someone try to find a way to fulfill a dare without resorting to violence or brutality. I guess the other thing is the truth part of truth or dare never really comes forward. Mm. Like, I think it would have been much more interesting if some of the... Yes, you keep the idea that these mystery sheets of paper show up with dares on them, but... Why not also have mystery sheets that have questions on them that compel people to tell the truth? Like, you could have so much great character work come forward that way. So it sounds like the movie had an interesting idea. It just didn't do that much. It had a lot of uh, fallacies in the execution. Well, it, 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 yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't well thought out. You know, the, the ghosts... The, it doesn't seem to operate under any kind of rules, and I think that's something that that I've come to notice more and more. Uh, I think like supernatural elements in horror films, I think are do work best when they're inexplicable. But inexplicable should not mean random or arbitrary. There should mm-hmm. still be rules that these things follow, even if the main characters never learn what those rules are. It's fine if those rules only exist in the screenwriter's head. I watched a movie last night on HBO. It was a, a remake. Um, I'm sure this story has been done a zillion times. It was Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, yeah, I've been curious about checking that out. Is that the yeah. Kenneth Branagh one? It is, with Kenneth uh, directed and starring Kenneth Branagh. As Hercule Poirot. Poirot. And it also has a, you know, a, a big-name cast of like uh, Daisy Ridley and um, Willem Dafoe. Uh, Josh Gad. Oh, who else? Dame Judy Dench. A lot, a lot of different people on it. Uh, it's, it's a good cast, but I, and, you know, I have not read the original novel. I have not seen other versions of this story. Um, but the, the ending was unsatisfying. Huh? Really? Yeah. And I actually predicted the ending because I was being sarcastic, and I was correct. Oh, was it one of those things where, like, you just kind of made a crack before any clues had been established and it turns out you were right? Yeah, because they make an observation about the the stab marks on the body of the person that gets murdered. And I said, oh, it it must be this. And I was right. And it was, um... (laughs) But I I think, you know, they do a good job with the the sets and the costumes and the acting is is good. Uh... Brana's Hercule Poirot, the French accent sounds a bit more like Inspector Clouseau to me. It, it seems a bit overdone, but he, he makes a character quirky. In fact, there, there's a little scene early on where he's solving a different mystery um, in Israel before he gets on the train proper. And as he's walking towards there, he steps in some cow shit. And he says, well, this now will affect the, the weight of my shoes. So he steps his other shoe in the shit as well. And says, ah, okay, now I can carry on. That does not seem like a Poirot thing to do. But then again, maybe that's a weird detail from that story. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think they have him being obsessed about... He enjoys uh, coddled eggs for breakfast, which, uh, if you don't know, you kind of... I don't know, partially boil, partially bake these eggs, and they have to be exactly the same height. Hmm. To be um, perfect for him. 
Oh no! Now are they aren't they doing a sequel to this based on Agatha Christie's death on the Nile? I think so. And even the way this one ends at the end is they say, "Oh, we got another case for you. It's on the bloody Nile." So that that is a, a fascinating story. I'm, I'm curious to see how they might do that one. Yeah, and this one made a lot of money, so it looks like they're going to be doing that second one. So we'll just have to see. But yeah, I I enjoyed it. I just think the ending was a bit long in the tooth, and I don't think it quite worked. They um. It gets a bit sappy at the end, and uh, it makes me want to go back and read the original book because I have the feeling they might have changed, um, maybe even who the the killer was, or something. Because it just it, it doesn't quite work. Hmm. Oh no! Before before we continue, um, we we had talked mentioned on earlier episodes how there was. In development, a, an all-female spinoff of the Expendables called the Expendables, which, frankly, yeah. I don't believe is going to happen. No, at no, this no. Point. That, that that did not go forward. They, um, I don't know if they even they might have had a screenplay, but they they started trying to make offers to actresses. You know, Sigourney Weaver was supposed to have been in it. Um, she she would have had to have been, had to have been, yeah. But I think so. And uh, but the synopsis talks about them. Having to go undercover as strippers or something like it. Oh my god! It was like everything you were kind of. That being said, you know, would a a version of this with all female actresses work? I think so. It's not a terrible idea. Um, well, so I was doing some thinking about that, <clears throat> and I was and I was wondering who each of us would cast if if that movie were to be made and we had any say in the casting. Okay, I would say uh, Angelina Jolie would be in it. Yep. Yep. Uh, what about you? What do you think? Let's uh, start naming people. Well, well, definitely Bridget Nielsen. You got a Schwarzenegger connection there. Yeah. Also Stallone. She was married to Stallone, um, briefly. Oh my uh, gosh, you're right. I, I was thinking of her and Red Sonja. Well, yeah, that was before, but yeah. Um, I'm, also, I'm, I'm also thinking uh, Pam Greer. Oh, good, good thought. Um, I would say Michelle Yeoh. All right, so this this is the one. I know it's more TV than movies, but Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless has oh, to be sure. in here, yeah, and she that. gets to use her Australian accent. Yep, that would be good. Or no, is she a New Zealander? I don't know. Well, they whatever her like... accent is, she uses it. Yep. Um, I think it's sort of stunt casting. Not that they did action movies, really, but it could be sort of fun. You could have Olivia Newton-John... In there, <laughs> part of, part of me wants like Judy Dench or Maggie Smith to be in it. Sure, I could see like, that. Let let them take on an M type role. They don't necessarily have to have action scenes, but make them the head of some agency that, that makes them the Mister Church, you know, or Mrs. Church. We'll call them Mrs. Temple. Yeah. yeah, Mrs. Temple. That's what it is. That's the that's the mission Mrs. briefing Temple. character's name, Mrs. Temple. Um, now I realize like. I do in the first film. I really like you know casting you know more charismatic uh, wrestlers in this. So this casting choice it is dream casting in its purest form. But also understand that I really have not followed wrestling over the past decade. I understand that there are some great women wrestling for the WWE right now who probably would be perfect to put in this movie. But I would love to see China in this movie as the one of the villains henchmen. Yeah, you could do that. I know um, she's dead, but again, dream casting. Hmm. I think you could also have... Oh, there's just so many, the more you think about it. Um... Someone that was a Bond girl, probably, you could throw in there. I, you know, Halle Berry would have to be in it, now that I think about it. You could do Halle Berry, you could also do... Kim Basinger could be good. Um, hmm. Yeah, but I mean, there's, there's, I think there's some meat on the bones of that idea, whether it's related to the Expendable series or not. I wouldn't, I don't really care. Um, but I, I think with, with the name, the Expended Bells, is frankly a bit embarrassing <laughs> of a name and, and cheesy. And I think uh, had the movie come out, I, I do think it would have done well. But um, with the Expendables, yeah, the current state of the franchise, we can touch on that real quick. Uh, Expendables 4 is in development. Um, I don't believe Terry Crews is going to be in it, although his lawsuit is settled with uh, an individual related to the series. Um, so, who knows? Uh, 
Also, they, they have a deal to do The Expendables as a TV show, which I think would make perfect sense. Um, with, not with like, you... the same actors? or No, just no, like... no, no, but you would, they could make cameos or something. Because it's, 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 you would do, it would be like an A-team kind of show, right? And then you would have, mm-hmm. that would be the perfect way to have, you know, known action stars make cameos here and there. Um, yeah, I guess you. I guess you could also get people who are more known for playing action hero types in TV roles. So, like the guy from Twenty Four, uh, Michael Chiklis, things like true, that. True, true. Yep, things like that. Uh, but yeah, you you look at this, and it's um, Expendables Four should be interesting, and we'll cover it on the show at some point, probably if it if it comes out. Looks like it will. Uh, also, speaking of which, last time around I, I mentioned some Rambo 5 things from Stallone's Instagram account. Oh, um, yeah, the, the supposed last blood or final blood. Final blood. Um, one of the later pictures shows Rambo again in a cowboy hat with a huge collection of guns and knives. And Stallone's <laughs> caption was Rambo's Man Cave. Um, <laughs> it gives me great pause. To see things like that, but you know, it's an old man commenting on photos. It, that doesn't mean anything about the quality of the movie. I just think Rambo, uh, the fourth one, was such a good movie and it ended on such a good note. Uh, I, I just hope they don't <clears throat> whiff it for Rambo Five. And if we're gonna call it Final Blood, kill off Rambo in the end. Maybe so. I guess. I guess the other thing is, <coughs> oh, excuse me. You look at how the character changed. I mean, you look at the fir- the first movie which is a very stark commentary on the way Americans treat veterans and and, and yep. about yep. about the psychological burden that comes with with spending time in combat which the rest of the film just completely ignore if you're going to do a final chapter maybe go back to those themes i think that would be a much better way to wrap that character's story I would love to see Brian Dennehy again or something. I don't know. Like, and part of the problem is the, the series didn't miss something after the, Richard Crenna died, the, the, the Troutman character being gone. Mm, is yeah. such an important part, especially in the older films, that if you have some sort of analog to that in the final film, it could be sort of nice. Maybe Troutman's brother, or I don't know. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I feel I feel like that would be that would be kind of kind of cheap. Although, actually, what about Troutman's widow? Yeah, sure. You could do that. Something or someone somehow related to his. Because I mean, one one of the astonishing things about that that original Rambo movie, First Blood, is he goes to you know, he just came back. He goes to visit an old friend of his, and he learns his old his uh, former uh, fellow man in the army is is dead, mm. and visits the the grieving mother, and it's sort of an unexpected way to open a Stallone picture. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope... I agree. I hope it has some respect with the treatment to the to the character. And uh, at the same time, I bet we'll get the crazy, nutso-violence we got at the end of uh, Rambo 4. So we'll just, <laughs> just have to see what goes on. Um, this, uh, this Saturday, on October 20th, I have a live SequelCast 2 panel with some friends here in Portland. We're going to be talking about the video game movies of Uwe Boll. Fantastic! And in fact, um, yesterday on the 13th, I got to uh, interview Uwe Boll uh, briefly uh, over Skype. So that was a lot of fun. It took a lot of work to get that to happen. Um, And I think it turned out pretty good. You know, it's it's tricky. The man has been interviewed so much and has so many um, audio commentaries and so forth for his films that it make me it was hard to kind of come up with some different questions. But I think we, we cover some good things. We talk about he has a, a show, Uwe Bill Raw, on YouTube where he, he talks about current events. And he currently is not directing movies, but he's a restaurateur in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Hmm. So there you go. Um, but yeah, so go to that. The information, just look up Portland Retro Gaming Expo and you can get tickets. I think uh, you can get either a day pass or do a whole weekend pass. But they have a lot of retro games, uh, both for play and for sale, and a lot of interesting panels uh, with some YouTube personalities on there. Um, it just depends on what you want to see. So oh, Very cool. And our panel is from 7.30 to 8.15 p.m. <clears throat> 
I, I will have more specific information to share later, but I will be doing a few panels and events at Con on the Cob in Hudson, Ohio in November. You've done that for a few years now, haven't you? I haven't. I, I sadly could not make it last year, so this year will be my triumphant return. Is that is that pretty big as far as conventions go? It it has well, it's not like it's not like you're. It's still a pretty much an independent convention. It's uh, but it's very very big for what is supposed to be a local convention. It draws in a lot of people from the tri-state area. Um, it, it, and it ha- I've seen it grow. It really has ballooned. Uh, I think the I think the first one was in uh, Andy. It was founded by uh, Andy Hop, who's an illustrator, artist, and game designer. Uh, the creator of uh, of uh, Low Life, which is a fantastic Savage World setting. I believe the first one was in his basement, but now like it's taken mm. over a whole. It's outgrown uh, one hotel, uh, moved into another. It's completely taken it over. It's fantastic. Do they actually sell corn on the cob at Con on the cob? They've had popcorn. Mm, okay. Uh, and sometimes Savage and Savage Mojo used to. I don't know if they're doing it this year, but they used to do these like uh, they used to do this uh, Savage Mojo uh, hot dog slash grill night. And sometimes they would grill corn on the cob or corn on the cob on the uh, on the grill. There's nothing like having fresh grilled corn on the cob, especially uh, I've had it at some um, at some skiing resorts. That's a nice way to have it. Where you get the whole corn and the husk, and they put the spices on it. Sometimes the crema, all good stuff. Okay. So you can follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And before we do the sequel scene, what are we talking about next time, Thrasher? Well, we are... Uh, so last year, we looked at the first four... Nightmare on Elm Street films because they more or less uh, encompassed a self-contained story. So this year, we are going to look at the Nightmare on Elm Street films numbers five and beyond. Yep. Or no, six and beyond. So we did Up to the Dream Child last time, so we'll be doing Friday's Dead, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and the remake, and we'll also probably do a few more episodes of that TV series. Oh yeah, Freddy's Nightmares. Freddy's Nightmares. But so we'll try and look for episodes with uh, Freddy actually in it, apart from the bumper sequences. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to look it up. I believe there's an episode that is actually like th- an anthology format where Freddy shows up in three different stories. I'll see if I can find that. I would love oh, to that, do that. Oh, that'd one. be a good one, sure. Um, and, and speaking of, of those kind of franchises, did you see the the legal troubles with the Friday the Thirteenth? No, no, I didn't. Okay, so the the original screenplay was done by a person. And he claimed, well, because he came up with uh, Jason Voorhees, they shouldn't be able to use him in Friday the 13th movies. Hmm. And I think he ended up winning. They're going to try to appeal it, but it's pretty strange. Like, um, they haven't done anything uh, as far as Friday the 13th movies in about a decade now. Uh, But what's strange is this lawsuit even held up release of any more content for the um, video game. Really? Yeah, because they didn't want to get sued. They were just nervous about the litigation. Um, So they put a halt on the more downloadable content for it for the time being. But I'm I'm not... You have to look up to see more of the specifics. But it's quite an odd lawsuit because if you try to do Friday the 13th without Jason Voorhees, you might as well not bother... Although they did do a TV series Friday the 13th that had nothing to do with Jason Voorhees. Yeah, other than like his mask being in the creepy antique shop, yeah. In the credits, <laughs> That's yeah. the only connection. Um, so, oh well. Um, okay, let's do the sequel scene. What character did you want to be? Oh man, only because I love him so much. Can I be uh, Doc? Okay, then I'll be Toll Road and Gunnar Jensen. This is kind of an earlier scene in the film. Um, where they yeah, this is this is uh, right Bob. after the rescue. Right after the rescue. Okay, so here we go. Um, I heard you killed more people than the plague. How about that? Why do they call you Doctor Death? Used to be a medic, but that was a long time ago. So why'd you get locked away? Tax evasion. <laughs> um, okay. So. Yeah. yeah. That that's a real la- laughing uh, scene closing stinger line. 
I think so. I kind of wish that they, they would have gone into painful details about tax evasion, but they don't. <laughs> really really go into it. Mm. My lawyer tried to make a plea deal. We, we, we made a... We used a Schedule C. should have been a Schedule D. It's like Willie Nelson, how he didn't actually commit the tax fraud. His accountant did, so his accountant went to jail. God, yeah. Um, well, he's not the, the first uh, celebrity to get in trouble for that. It's not the last. Um, so there you go. Uh, so next week, you know, tune in, uh, prep your popcorn with Nightmare on Elm Street, and we'll be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street uh, 6, Freddy's Dead. Um, I recommend there's a pretty good, pretty inexpensive box set of the Nightmare on Elm Street films if you want to pick those up. That's probably cheaper than getting the films individually, or of course you can rent them. So um, we'll be talking about that starting next week. And then after that, we'll be talking about the Pirate of the Caribbean films. So That's been a long time coming with those. Yeah, and there's five, six of them, something like that. So We'll probably have a lot of Monkey Island tangents when we get to that. Uh, yeah, especially the, the second film has a lot of direct Monkey Island references, <laughs> where apparently the Monkey Island uh, game designer Ron Gilbert contacted Disney, and Disney says no one, no one working on this film has heard of Monkey Island. Uh, doubtful but anyway that's uh, another story for another time alright so for sequel cast 2 this is Matt and this is Thrasher saying you fight like a dairy farmer